And I want to kind of give you a picture of kind of where this is. Because you remember we ended last week with standing. Just stand your ground. Stand in the victory that's already been won for you. Just stand on the ground that Jesus Christ has won. And just take your stand there. And then, and then he will tell us how to do that. He'll give us some, some, some things to do that. But here's a picture that I got because I'm telling you all something. In the midst of a spiritual battle, you're not going to come away unscarred. Life's not going to be rosy and full of joy and hope and all that kind of stuff. So you can expect that there will be some battle scars. But the picture that I got in my mind was this. The other night we were sitting at our house and our doors were just doing this. Y'all remember that wind blew through. And my mind was carried to a place and some pictures that I've seen before. Many of you have seen these pictures before. Uh, how a tornado blows through. And, and, and all of this destruction around that tornado. And there is one structure that is standing. Y'all ever seen that? That's kind of the idea here that, that you ought to get when you talk about this spiritual warfare and standing. How am I going to be able to stand? But when you take the things that God has given you to be able to stand... And, and I'll show you something that's even more important than all the armor here in just a second. That when the battle dust clears, the child of God is still standing. Now, here is a key. Okay, here's the key to all that. We've got all this armor right here, and we're going to put all this armor on. But let me tell you something. All of the armor is not satisfactory. And protecting you from the schemes of the devil. There's something that's got to go with it. And here it is. I have been reading this. And and I haven't done it every day. But since I started this chapter. It's been my goal to read through the book of Ephesians every day. Every morning. And I have got it so marked up right now. Because there's so much of that. But here's the the interesting thing that, that, that I noticed as I began to go through. Never paid a lot of attention to it, just read it through. But if you will notice, you remember we talked last week, doctrine, first three chapters, practice. There is some doctrine in the last three chapters, but it's just a reminder of what's been said in the first three. And so here it is, and here's how you do that. Twenty times, 20 times out of 27 times that it's used in the book of Ephesians, in the first three chapters, It mentions this, in him. 20 different times, in him, in Christ, in the Lord. And and look, that becomes a key to, to, to what Paul is telling us toward the last part of this chapter. If it is not in Christ, if we are not in Christ, if we are not seated with Christ in the heavenlies, if we are not walking with Christ in love and caution, if we are not standing in Christ during the battle, it don't matter what you got on. It's not going to protect you. Christ is the key. Now, remember we said last week, and I think it's absolutely true, you don't stand in your own strength anyway. You stand in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. You stand in his strength. You let him stand for you. It's as if, and the only way I could describe it is this way. It's as if when the battle comes... The Lord Jesus, if you were in Christ, takes the blows. 
takes the blows for you. As a matter of fact, he takes them for you even now, but he took it ultimately at Calvary. Everything that the devil could throw at Jesus Christ, he threw at him at Calvary. And guess what? Your salvation and, and, and the work of Jesus Christ, your salvation is secured by what happened at the cross. But it was guaranteed by what happened in that tomb three days later. The, 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 the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus secured my salvation. The resurrection of Jesus guaranteed that salvation. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, there's not another Messiah or God or human that other people worship that can boast of being alive. Our God is alive. And so Paul wants us to take that. He wants us to start with that. And and it's, it's so amazing that he wants you, as you read through the first three chapters, to become so saturated in your mind with the idea that we are in Christ, in Christ, in him, in him. And if you'll read through that, if you'll mark those things, it'll begin to to draw a picture for you. Because I'm telling you, there's no way if you're not in Christ that you'll be able to withstand what the devil's throwing at you. Now, let's look at this for a moment. We'll begin in verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, there it is. So, okay, finally. My brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's stop there just a minute. Circle that word schemes or wiles. If you have a King James Version, it will say wiles of the devil. Some will say schemes of the devil. But it's the, it's the, it's the Greek word from where we get our word method. The methods of the devil. Which carries with the idea, ladies and gentlemen, that this warfare that the devil throws at you is not indiscriminate. It's not, it's not unthought of. It is a well-planned out systematic scheme to get you to fall, to get you to sin, to get you to give up your ground. So, so God says, so that we may be able to stand against the methods of the devil. Now look at what he says. For our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of of this world. Now, 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 look, I get it. We sing a song sometimes that says, this is my father's world. I understand that, but that ain't exactly true right now. Did you know that as a child of God, you are on enemy territory? The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. You you see what I'm saying? We're not going to go into all the theological ramifications of that, but it started in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned. It will end in the book of Revelation in chapter 5 and chapter 6 where the lamb steps forward and takes back what's rightfully his. We wrestle against these forces. Now notice this. Because, first of all, when he says, put on, that's a command. Okay, that's a command. God doesn't put it on for you. Because he says in verse 13, take up. 
It's as if God makes it available to you, but it's your responsibility to take it up and put it on. Okay? And then he says, when you do that, and he says, the whole armor of God. There may be some things in here that you're just not real crazy about putting on. But if you don't put it on, you're not going to be able to stand. Now, now, I don't have time to go over the whole theological ramifications of this. I'm going to try the best that I can. But, but, but look, he says, when you've done that, the whole armor of God that you may have to resist in the evil day. This is the evil day. But sometimes... There are times when the onslaught is stronger than at other times. Sometimes the devil just just um, uh, calls all-out war on you, and you think, and all these things are lining up. You say, well, I don't know what to attribute to the devil or not. The problem is, if you're in Christ, it don't matter. You've got it covered, okay? So he says that we are to stand, we are to take up this armor, we're to put it on, so that we may be able to resist the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, I think it's interesting here, and this is one of the things that just clicked in my head. He says, resist in the evil day. You're not called to fight the devil in your own strength. You are called to resist the evil day. You are called to take a stand in the evil day. And you are to stand in Christ. That's where power comes from, okay? In Christ. And then he says, having your, uh, having your waist girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray... Prayer is the only non-clothing article that we are to put on. But the fact of the matter is, it is in the same paragraph. It's in the same train of thought. So the fact of the matter is, part of your armor is your prayer life. Okay? So he says, pray in the Spirit always with all kinds of prayer and supplication. Pray about everything. To that end, be alert with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Pray for one another. When you see them under attack, and then he says, pray for me that the power to speak may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. He says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul's in prison when he's writing this, okay? That I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, I'm going to throw this in. I, was, I, I didn't know where I was going to put this in. I'm just going to put it in right here. Paul says, these are the things that we are to do. They are, these are the things that we are to do. And then he says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Now, Paul's in prison. He is chained to a Roman soldier, which would make sense that he would use the illustration uh, of this Roman soldier there when he goes down through there. Oh, yeah, there's a helmet of salvation. There's a breastplate of righteousness. There's a shield of faith. There's the sword of the Spirit. That's the word of God. So, so that we could understand that. But think about this for just a moment. Because I, I, I would suspect... For me personally, that if I went through everything the Apostle Paul went through, I'd be calling time out. Left to die, stoned, shipwrecked, in prison, beaten. You say, well, Gary, how, how are we able to stand in the midst of all that? How, how do we stand in 
and, and all this chaos that seems to be going on around us. My mind is just swirling. I, I, I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm going to be overtaken with this flood. Don't you think Paul felt the same way? Let me tell you something that God has given us and an understanding of God. Yeah, in him, in him means more than just in him. Here's what Paul, here's the way Paul looked at what was happening to him. Okay, think about this for a minute. Think about what's happened to you. And then listen, you know what's happened to Paul? Over in the book of Romans and also in the book of Corinthians, this phrase is used. And Lee and I have kind of adopted this over the years. Paul says, for this momentary light affliction. Holy cow. Paul's laying there dead. He's been stoned, left for dead, and he looks up and goes, guys, this momentary light affliction. He said, well, it's not light. It is light compared to what Paul's going to compare it to. This momentary light affliction, uh, light affliction, can't even come close to being compared to the glory that will be revealed in us in the appearing of Christ Jesus. Whoa, okay, okay, yeah. So, so, so here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. When, when, we're, when we're feeling sorry for ourselves, we're wondering how we're going to make it through the battle. The fact of the matter is we just have to remember that what's out there is so much better than what's here. I promise you when you get to heaven, the difficulties you went through, the attacks that you've been through won't even be a thought in your mind. But you know what? We have to live through it now. And I think Paul understood that. So we, we wrestle. We wrestle. You say, okay, well, I've wrestled before. Not like this. Not like this. Let me just give you a little background. Paul says our fight, and it's really, it's really the word uh, uh, wrestling. But here's what you have to understand. In the culture in which Paul was writing, when a wrestler lost a match, he had his eyes gouged out. So, so, so think, you're living in that time, you know the culture, and you hear this. This is serious stuff. I've got to win this battle. I can't lose this battle because there's too much at stake. And so, and so Paul says, he uses that word wrestle, I think, on purpose. For we don't wrestle against principalities. Uh, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness. It, it, is, it is imperative that we understand that this battle is real and that it is a struggle and, and that there's no way that you're going to win that battle trying and striving. You're going to have to do what I used to do when people would jump on me. Let me introduce you to my big brother. And, and, and look, I mean, that's just kind of it, okay? Jesus, Jesus wins that battle. Jesus has won that battle. The believer's enemy, verse 11, is the devil. Verse 12, I believe, is his fallen demonic angels. The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, is these enemies are unredeemable. They're unredeemable, and they have one objective. That is to kill, destroy, deceive, and accuse. 
Among other things, those are the major things, okay? Kill. Just, you see, think about it. When the devil attacks you, he's just not trying to make you uncomfortable. He wants to kill you. And I promise you, if your next-door neighbor wanted to kill you, you would build up defenses and do what you had to do to protect yourself, right? The Bible tells us we have an enemy who wants to kill us. And so you better get serious about building up these defenses, the wiles, the schemes. Now, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 give us the devil's attack points, okay? His attack points. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life. You have three enemies as a believer. The devil, the world, and the flesh. And let me tell you all something. If you don't get the flesh under control, then you're going to, you just open the door for the world and for the devil to step in. I promise you, they are going to attack you, the devil and the world are going to attack you through your flesh, through that old man, through that old nature. So you better get it under control. You better protect it. You, you better keep it from these schemes that the devil's talking about. You say, well... I'm just, I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know about him. I, he don't bother me. Hey, let me tell you something. How many of you, whatever you do in work or in sports or whatever, have become pretty good at what you, at what you do? Um, I, I, was, I, was, I was an athlete, uh, but I'm not as athletic as I used to be. It just kind of, you know, it just kind of gets to a point and it just kind of falls off. Uh, there, there are some with your skills, whatever it is, that you will get better and better and better, but you only have a lifetime to hone those skills. Now, listen to this very carefully. The devil has had thousands and thousands and thousands of years to hone his skills. You better believe he knows what he's doing. You better, listen, he studies you. He knows you. He knows what your weak points are. And a lot of the times, we just tell them what they are. I've always been cautious to speak things out loud because the devil is not omniscient. And so the only way he knows you have a weakness is that you just say, I'm weak in this area. Just, just keep that in mind. I know all that sounds kind of crazy to some of you, but the fact of the matter is, it's just true. The advance, you say, well, you know, um, uh, you know, sins, sins of omission, sins of commission, sins of disposition, whatever it is, those things have been refined. Even to the point sometimes to where you think you're doing something really spiritual and all he's doing is just duping you. Just a set of rules. Here's what I got to do to get to heaven. Here's what I got to do to make God happy. Just be in Christ. Now, let's run through this. I hope we have time to get through all of it this morning. So I'm just going to stick with it close if I can. Notice what he says in verse 14. He begins with this matter of truth. So we are to gird ourselves with truth. It, it really carries with the idea of a belt. Now, the thing about a belt to a Roman soldier is everything attached to the belt. The belt held everything together. Okay? Truth. Now, now listen to this statement very carefully. When he says truth here, He's not talking about the Bible. Okay, it's not the word that he uses. He's not talking about the Bible. Although, the Bible is the source of our truth. Truth 
in this case is expanded quite a bit because just knowing the Bible and Bible verses won't keep the devil at bay. Notice it is the belt of truth. Now, a Roman soldier would do this. Roman soldiers wore tunics or robes or some of them, you know, you see pictures, they kind of wore like a kilt. But when they went to battle, what they would do is, is that they would pull up that skirt and they would tuck it into their belt like that. Why did they do that? So that their battle, they would not be encumbered and entangled in what they were doing. They wanted to make sure that when they fought this battle, nothing was in the way. They could move freely and, and, and be able to do the things that they needed to do in battle, being the soldiers that they were. And so they had to have that belt pulled up. Let me just give you these nine things real quick. I, I don't have them up. Don't try to write them down. Just listen to this very carefully, and, and then, then you can process them. Here are some ways that Satan attacks the believer. John MacArthur says there are nine ways that Satan attacks the believer. Number one, causing doubts about God, his goodness, his love, his grace, his long-suffering, all of that stuff, causing doubts about that, getting us, getting us in a position sometimes where we go, God just doesn't love me. God just must not care about me. God must not be listening to me. Causing doubts. Number two, he tries to undermine our victory in Christ. You see, the fact of the matter is, I preached a whole sermon to you last week about the victory's already been won. And some of you have gone through things this week and gone, oh, I thought the victory had been won. I'm getting beat up pretty good. The fact of the matter is, the victory's been won. And what the devil tries to do is undermine who we are in Christ because of what Christ's done. Number three, he confuses us through false doctrine and false teaching. I'm telling you all, there's a, there's a world full of false teaching out there. You, you better be sure that you know what the Bible says on a subject. You need to be biblical about it. And look, here's the deal. I mean, we could study Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff, but the fact of the matter is, it says what it says. Okay? And what we have seen is a twisting and a turning. We, we have turned it into, tried to turn it into a cultural book. We have said that, hey, you know, it's archaic. It, it, listen, the soul that sins will die. Is that true? That's been true from the beginning. So, so, but what he will try to do is try to confuse you through that. Listen to some preacher. Boy, he really sounds good. Hey, he may be spot on right here. So all of a sudden, we develop this attitude. I'm going to listen to this guy because he's spot on. The next week, he may be, give you just a little bit of non-truth. Reminds me of the, the thing that I read one time about the space shuttle. You can shoot the space shuttle off. And if the trajectory and the angle of that space shuttle is one degree off, by the time it's supposed to reach its destination, it will be thousands of miles off track. Same way with just one little false teaching, one little false doctrine, one little false idea that somebody puts in your head that sounds good. So he confuses us through that. He hinders our service. We know that we are to serve Christ, and yet when the opportunity comes to serve, how many excuses? And it's all busy stuff, and sometimes it's all good stuff. 
But how many of us can find a reason sometimes not to serve because we're involved in, in something else? So he hinders us from our service. He causes divisions. He causes divisions. That's why I say, ladies and gentlemen, when we are, I, I'm going to tell you something. Getting on the devil's ground, exposing him, if you're not very careful, well, then two Sundays he will have created a divide right here in this congregation. And you won't even know it. Won't even know it. Causes divisions. Persuades us to rely on our own resources. Number seven, leads us into hypocrisy. Number eight, leads us into worldliness and materialism. By the way, which the Bible says is idolatry. And number nine, leads us to disobey God's word. I know that's what it says, but our defense against these things is not enough to defeat and resist them. We must use the provisions that God has provided for us. Now, let me show you what God has provided for us. I want to just show you something. I love this. I just, I, I, I just love this. Isaiah 59. Let me just show you something. Isaiah 59. In, the, in this part of Isaiah, you, you, you have a, a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ. The, the, the focus here is on, is on the Lord Jesus, okay? By the way, y'all know he existed before he was born, right? Okay. So look at verse 17 with me. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. So, Gary, what are you saying about the provisions? Christ is giving you his armor. It's his armor. That's why he says, put on the whole armor of God. He is providing for you his armor. Okay? Now, here's, here's the one I like the best. And I, you know what? Y'all just need to go to this one. Y'all need to circle this. In the, midst of, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of spiritual warfare, look at verse 19. Just may, You may be a page over. You may be on the same page. Listen to this. Last part of verse 19. When the enemy shall come like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. You see that? It ain't about what you can do. You're walking in the Spirit. You're walking the walk. You're sitting with Christ. You're standing strong. When the enemy comes, I'm telling you what, you wonder why in the world you didn't get, because there's been a standard that's been set up against him. Spirit of the Lord has done that. The provisions that God gives us. First provision that is mentioned is truth. Chapter 1 and verse 13 calls it the word of the truth. The the, the gospel of our salvation. Chapter 4 and verse 15 gives us its purpose. Maturity. Chapter 5 and verse 10. It's proof that we are doing what is pleasing to the Lord. I thought it was kind of interesting. 
and I don't think it's comical, but you know, Pilate, they're washing his hands one day, and he looked up and he asked this question, what is truth? And it was standing right in front of him. I'm going to tell you, folks, you'll miss it if you're not careful. What is truth? Well, it has several meanings. Number one, it's an attitude of truthfulness or really the accuracy of the truths and, and truth qualities. Thy word is truth. That's part of it. The soul that sins will die. Is that truth? Um, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall also eat. Is that truth? Yes. And so it's the, the accuracy of the truth. It's more than just a word. It is it is stepping on the ground of all of the doctrines and the accuracy of the truth and the promises of God. It is what one writer calls self-discipline and total commitment to all the doctrines that are taught in Scripture. Try to do that in a lot of churches today and you'll get run off. The Bible says, Billy Graham does it about as well as anybody I've ever heard. The Bible says, and people can, can scheme and they can talk to you and they can give you all kinds of ideas about why the Bible doesn't mean this and it means this. The fact of the matter is, you stand on the truth that the Bible says. Now, you're not going to be popular. I'm going to go ahead and tell you now. You're not going to win any popularity contests if you do that. But here's what the Bible says. If God be for us, who can be against us? So, truth. Christian practices and behavior is truth. That means, that means living guides. Truth is a living guide for our life and for our godliness. Truth. Kenneth Wiest, in his word studies in the Greek New Testament, says this. It is openness. It is reality. It is the mind that practices no deceit and does not attempt to disguise that deceit in your interaction with God. I know that's kind of a mouthful. But it's like, listen, you ain't playing with God. That's just it. Openness, reality, practicing no deceit, your character, your, 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 I mentioned this to our college kids this morning. Joseph in Potiphar's house, he ran. He lost his cloak. She grabbed his clothes, tore them off of him. He ran. And he was accused of doing something he didn't do. But I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. At the very end, he never lost his character. And number two, in the end, God vindicated him. Stand your ground. Stand your ground. Truth matters. Truth matters. Now listen to this. I think this is a good statement. Sincerity is not enough. Sincerity is an interesting Greek word because it means without wax. In, in olden times, potters would make this pottery and to, um, uh, to make it seem like it 
didn't have any cracks in it, it would fill those cracks with wax. And, and then they would, they would make the pottery, and they, they would sell it, and they would paint it, and they would set it out as if it were not a reject, um, but, 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 but the real thing. And people who knew what they were doing would come around, and they would gawk outside to the sun, and they would hold that pot up in the light. And the light exposed the cracks. Sincerity could, could carry with it the meaning of no cracks. No cracks. That's reality. That's sincerity. That's obedience. Look at your life. Look at your life. Are you, are you filling the holes in your life with wax to make you look good on the outside? Would your life of, of, of Christianity, of following Jesus, would your life um, pass the test when it is exposed to the light? By the way, the Bible says one of these days, everything is going to be exposed by the light. Sincerity is not enough. It must also be right. Okay? So that's the truth. If you'll hang with me just a minute. Just let me get through this last one. And the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 14, the, breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness. The key here is righteousness. And there are two types of righteousness that the Bible talks about. First of all, there is this imputed righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ that you are clothed with on your, on your day of salvation. Imputed, it means it is given to you. It means that you didn't earn it. It means it is free. But you are imputed this righteousness. It is given to you. It is a gift of God. The, the Bible uh, talks about when Jesus... Um, died and went back to heaven. He led captivity captive. He gave gifts to men. Ephesians says that one of the gifts that he gives us is his righteousness. Okay? But there is also a practical righteousness. And that's what's meant here. This breastplate of righteousness. It means to be wrapped around. It is that righteousness that is lived out in accordance with God's word. It, 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 it is the sanctifying righteousness made possible by the Holy Spirit. Okay, y'all with me? Because here's what God would never do. God would never ask you to put on something that he's already put on you. Okay? So when we're told to put on a breastplate of righteousness, then it's not imputed righteousness because you already got that. It goes back to that word that we talked about in chapter 3 and 4, walk. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in love. Walk carefully. It is your daily, day-to-day interaction with the people who are around you so that there, is, there can be no accusation brought against you. That accusation sometimes goes, well, you know what, I'm not going to go to that church because I know that guy over there. Or this, this, this life must not be too serious because of that guy. No accusations. Now, listen to this very carefully. The truth, the truth combats the devil's deception. The breastplate combats his accusations. Because I'm going to tell you something. His accusations, the fiery darts of his accusations, sometimes are just as strong and compelling as, as the lies that he throws at you. 
I'm telling you, every, everybody sitting here this morning, if, if, you don't, if you don't agree that this has happened to you, then you need to come up here and be doing the preaching, okay? Or you probably lie about other things too. Everybody sitting here has been at one time or another or is now dealing with an issue that happened to you sometime in your past and you just cannot get away from it. See there? Think about it. Think about from the time that you can remember anything that you can remember up until now. Has there been anything in your life that, number one, you wish you could go back and do over? And how many times have you let that beat you up? God doesn't accuse you. The devil accuses you. And he shoots his arrows of accusation. You want to get over that? You want to get past that? Put on the breastplate of righteousness. When that arrow comes next time, it'll hit that breastplate, and it won't hit the intended mark, which is your heart or your soul or your mind. Y'all with me? I don't know about y'all. That's pretty good news for me. Because there's a whole lot of times that you know, there's a whole lot of stuff I'd like to do. We don't get do-overs. And so, and so all of a sudden, you've got these darts flying at you. And this breastplate combats the devil's accusations. This righteousness is to be lived out daily and moment by moment in obedience to our Heavenly Father. God provides the standard. God provides the power. But you have to provide the willingness. Put it on. Take it up. Not going to put it on for you. Not to wear the armor will cost you. Let me just run through these real quick. Your joy. Your joy. David in Psalm 51. One of my favorite psalms of all. Because it's David's prayer of confession. You want to learn how to pray Confession, read Psalm 51. David said in verse 12 of Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I'm going to tell you something. Not wearing the armor will allow the devil to come in and steal your joy. You can't even be happy that you're saved. He causes fruitlessness. Every believer is called, is commanded, is expected to bear fruit. Loss of reward. We don't have time to go into all that one. Loss of reward. But the worst of all is it brings reproach on God's glory. Brings reproach on God's glory. God's glory. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us we must abstain from fleshly lusts. We are to take every thought captive in the obedience to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're to set our mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Romans 13, we're to lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's what this battle armor will do for you. But you better put it all on. Because I'm telling you, if you leave in this Christian battle, in this Christian life without one article of armor, that is where you're going to be hit. 
If you don't have on the belt of truth, you can forget it because it, all the other armor is just going to fall off when you start walking. Starts there. Starts with stopping those accusations, stopping that, stopping that, th- th- those fiery darts that are fired at you. And I'll just end with this. There's an old rabbinical tradition that says, on the day of atonement, the devil had to shut his mouth. Here's the good news. Our day of atonement started at Calvary. Jesus Christ on that cross cried out, it is finished. It is done. It cannot be undone. It cannot be redone. It is finished. What is finished? Not I am finished. He didn't say I am finished. The work of salvation is finished. So look, there's nothing else. And, and on the day of atonement, the devil had to shut his mouth. And listen, if you're in him, if you are in him, it hasn't stopped. The atonement hasn't stopped. And if we are in him, it hasn't stopped, it's not going to stop, and it's not ever going to stop. If God is with us, who can be against us?